How is everybody? How was Christmas? Was it good? Right? The new year, who stayed up? You stayed up to usher in the new year. You did. You guys are crazy. There's all the crazy people right there. It happens every year, folks. It's not like you don't have to stay up late. It's going to happen without you or, or with you. Uh, anybody do fireworks for the new year? Everybody show me your fingers. You still got them? Good, good, okay. That means you did, you did them rightly, did them rightly. Well, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I, I've noticed it a lot more. Guys, the warning signs and the labels for, for, for activity, on, on, I mean, think about your mattress. Think about the clothes we wear. Think about the products that we, we take home and we eat. I, I feel like the warning signs and labels are just getting a little bit out of hand. You know, it's kind of like we have taken common sense out of the equation altogether. I'll tell you what I mean. Here's some examples. This, this first one's uh, at a pool, okay? That's at a pool, all right? Zero foot, zero inches. That means it's concrete, and yet we have to add no diving, right? Right? Common sense. We've taken that. Now, 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 this second one's at a pool also. Get this. This is at a pool, okay? Get this. I mean, listen, we got to let people know, do not breathe underwater, because you can't, right? Because you can't. You'll die. Don't try that. Don't try that. Uh, the next one, this is for any of you that might own a chainsaw. Uh, this is really good. Do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. You notice how the fingers there are, are, are separated. That's, that's good stuff. Uh, I found this one. This is from our, our friends across the pond. This is Newcastle Tramway Authority. Touching wires causes instant death. Okay? And then after you die, we're going to charge you $200. Right? Just in case you're not motivated by the death thing, but it's the money thing that motivates you. Thank you so much, ma'am. <clears throat> that is warm. <clears throat> okay. Uh, we all grew up reading Shel Silverstein, Where the Sidewalk Ends. Here's the answer. It ends here. It ends here. I just thought, in case you couldn't see that the concrete stopped and the grass began, we're going to put a sign up to say the sidewalk has ended. I got a couple more. I didn't even know this one was possible. Uh, caution, do not swallow a coat hanger. Don't do it. I know you're thinking about it. I know when you saw that thing holding your shirt up in the closet, you thought to yourself, I wonder if I could get this through my mouth and stuck in my neck. But don't, whatever you don't do it. That image was my favorite part. And then uh, here's, this is actually my favorite image. In case you, you saw a pointy fence and thought, I wonder if I could sit on that. Don't, don't sit there. And if you were to try it, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, you guys know why we have so many signs like this all over the place. We have signs like that because the truth is humanity has proven time and time again that we need them. We actually need reminders. We need warnings not to do stupid things. And over the next several weeks, when we get into these, these people called the prophets or the messengers of God, that's really what God is doing. He's putting up warning signs. He's saying, you people should know better than this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, stop doing this. Don't touch that. Slow down. Turn back. That's what the, the prophets are all about. And that's where we're going to find ourselves now as we enter into week 15 of God's story. Join me in a word of prayer as we jump in to the text together. Father, um, thank you for loving us. God, we pray that you would meet with us here in this place. Uh, Holy Spirit, we want to honor you and recognize your role in this church as our teacher. Um, we pray that you would come now and fill our pulpit and that you would lift up and teach the word of God um, fully, wholeheartedly, and truthfully in this place. 
Jesus, as you're lifted up, would you draw us all closer to yourself? And we pray uh, that we would be changed because of what happens here in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. That's really good. You guys, I'm making you want hot tea, aren't I? Mm, it's good. No, no hot tea for you. Coffee. That's okay. That's all right. Um, if you've got your copy of the story, guys, I'm on page uh, 203. 203 uh, is where we're going to be. And uh, when we left off in the story, it was a really difficult time. Uh, by the way, that page 203 is also 1 Kings chapter 17, if you're in your Bible. So uh, when we left off in the story, it's a difficult time because of Solomon's sin, uh, because of his son Rehoboam's stubbornness, and his subordinate Jeroboam's desire to rule, the kingdom of Israel has been torn in two. It's now two kingdoms. It, it's Judah is in the south, Israel is in the north. And, and we kind of talked, if you guys can remember back when we were doing the story before we took our break for Christmas, that, that Jeroboam, the guy that had the most tribes underneath his rulership, the guy in the north, he was so fearful that people were going to go back to Jerusalem and worship God and fall under the leadership of Rehoboam that he, he erected two golden calves and said, these are your gods, you need to worship them. And kind of from that time on, uh, idol worship in the north goes crazy. I mean, it really does. When we, when we find ourselves, and, and now there was idol worship in the south too, don't get me wrong, but as the kings begin to interchange and king after king after king after king, man, the north is, is, is just is way off in the deep end. They're not just, they're not just ankle deep or, or knee deep in idol worship. They are neck deep in it. And when we find ourselves in the story in chapter 15, the worst of the worst of these, of these, tre- of these kings is, is on the throne, and his name is Ahab. And his wife Jezebel is every bit as bad as he is. And that's kind of where our story picks up. So I'm on page 203. This is um, 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read through 6, and then we're going to skip around a little bit. And it says this. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, that's the evil king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Okay, now I'm going to skip to chapter 18, verse 1 and 2. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, okay? Uh, now skipping down to verse 16 through 19, it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you trouble of Israel? I have not made trouble for you, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. <coughs> Excuse me. This is where the big showdown happens on Mount Carmel. And the challenge is, is pretty basic, okay? Uh, really, I mean, he says, listen, I've got my God. I'm the only prophet speaking for the one true God. You, there's 450 of you for Baal, so let's have a contest. We're each going to build an altar, um, only here's the rules. You can't light it, okay? 
prepare a sacrifice, build an altar, prepare a sacrifice, put it on the altar, but do not light the altar. And instead, when the sacrifice is prepared, just pray. You pray to your God, and I'll pray to my God, and the God that answers by fire from heaven will prove himself to be the one true God. And so the prophets of Baal say, oh, that's great. And so they spend all morning dancing around and speaking in tongues. They're doing their stuff, hey, hey, you know, whatever, and praying to Baal, and nothing happens. And, and I love Elijah. This is my kind of prophet. About lunchtime, he goes, hey, maybe he's sleeping. You guys should yell a little louder, right? And so they do. They start dancing around thrashing. Now they, they start grabbing knives and cutting themselves. This is part of their tradition. So they're cutting themselves and they're dancing and they're, they're speaking and, 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 and yelling and shouting. And they do this. They do this until dinner time, right? And, 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 I mean, all day long. So literally, it is a bloody mess. And still, there's no answer. And so then Elijah steps up and Elijah builds an altar. He, he picks 12 stones. Each stone represents one tribe of Israel. God has not forgotten his people. And he, he, he prepares a sacrifice, he places it there, okay? And then he prays, and then he prays, okay? And, uh, and here is, is what happens, 1 Kings 18, 36 through 39. This is what he prays. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, uh, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up all of the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. The rest of the story documents how God then faithfully brings the rain. They watch the cloud forming slowly. Uh, it, it documents how, uh, so we, we get to know a little bit about Elijah and his life. We see how Elijah passes the torch on to the next prophet of God, a man named Elisha. And, uh, and we read about some of his great events. And then the story gives us two little excerpts um, from two other prophets um, named Amos and Hosea. And so I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking about some of the lessons that we learn from this chapter of God's story this week. And the first one you may have missed in your reading, you, you may have missed it because, because it, it has to do with the chronology of events. And I think most of us skip this over. We kind of miss this little detail. But I want to bring it out. And here's the first thing I want you to see this morning. God often uses the valleys of life to prepare us for the mountaintop moments. Okay? God often uses the valleys of life to prepare us for the mountaintop moments. Um, 1 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 1. We just read this, but this is page 203 of your story again. It, this is what it says. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Okay, So God says, I want you to go to this king, this wicked king, this crazy king named Ahab, and I want you to tell him there won't be dew or rain on the face of the planet until you speak to him again. He says, okay, and he goes and he tells Ahab, this is what God says, right? Then get this, this is the next thing that God says to him, verse 2 through 4, okay? Then the word of the Lord comes to him and says, leave here, turn eastward and hide. This is what God said. So God said, I want you to go to the king, and I want you to tell him this is what I say, and then guess what? Now I want you to run for your life. And somebody says, pastor, you mean that being obedient doesn't always mean prosperity and health and wealth? Exactly, that's what I mean. Being faithful to God does not always mean that you're going to have money and your health is going to be good and that everything's going to be okay. Sometimes being faithful to God means that you've got to run and hide. 
Okay? That's what I'm telling you. And so, so, so he's faithful to God. He runs and hides. And, and, and this is what I want you to see. While Elijah is hiding, God is still with him. God is still with him. In the midst of this great valley, God is still with him. In fact, God is teaching him how to depend on God alone for all of his needs. Right? His food is going to be supplied by, by ravens, ravenous creatures that are thought unclean by Jews. Like Jewish people would not want to eat this food, but, but yet he never misses a meal. He's got, he's got meat and bread. Day and night, he's got water to drink. God is with him. For, for three years, God is with him. Talk about complete reliance on God. Now, why is that important? Ready? Because Elijah is going to need that confidence in God on top of Mount Carmel. God's going to, Elijah's going to need that confidence in God up on top of Mount Carmel. You don't take on 450 false prophets and a mad king without complete trust and confidence in God that he will be with you that he hears you, that he will answer you, that he will provide. And, and I believe the chronology is important. The valley comes before the summit. The valley comes before the summit. Of it. And, and some of you this morning just need to hear that because you've been in the valley. Because that's where you reside. That's your zip code right now. You're, you're in, I, I call it the ditch, but, but this morning in, in the text, it's the valley. You're in the valley of life, and you're thinking, man, life is hard right now, and I don't enjoy this right now. And, and, and I, some of you even feel like God is forsaking you, but he hasn't. God is with you, just like he was with Elijah. That, that, that was the point. God was showing Elijah, when all of earth turns against you, I am still here, and I'm still provider, and you still have everything that you need even though you may not have everything that you want. God taught him this really important lesson for three years in the valley. And I believe, like Elijah, God is trying to teach us the same thing, many of us. I think one day we're going to look back like he did. You know, Elijah got to look back after three years, and he, I, I think at some point the light bulb went on and he realized, I never missed a meal. I never missed a meal. While, while people all over were struggling to find water, God, God brought me water. In the valley, I always had something to drink. I think at some point that, that light bulb goes on. I, I think it will with us as well at some point. And what I'm trying to say to you is, is listen, I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that the valleys of life are gifts from God. I believe that they help us see his hand at work in our lives because sometimes when we're on the mountain, stuff is so busy, we don't see it. Now, the valleys aren't always enjoyable. They're not always easy, Right? But they do teach us deep truths about God's continual presence with us, his ability and power to provide in all circumstances. And I believe that those moments are preparation. So here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. If you're here and you feel like that's where you are, say, Pastor, I am in the valley. Then get ready. If you're in the valley, then get ready. Now listen, it may, it may be another year or two that you're there, that God is preparing you for something. And so if you're in the valley, I just want to say, just hang in there. Because I believe your mountaintop is coming. I really, really do, okay? Uh, point number two. Point number two. And this is really what, what, what this entire section of Scripture we're going to study together, the whole, um, all the books of the prophets really are, are centered around this, that God loves us and is jealous for our affection. God loves us and is jealous for our affections. What is all this about? Why has God sent these messengers to, to warn his children? And, and, and what are they warning them about? Well, primarily, all of the messengers that we're here, here about, all these people that we call prophets, the majority of these men are going to warn the nation of Israel about the sin of idolatry. 
primarily that is, that is, that is their, their primary focus, is to warn the nation of Israel about their problem with idolatry and the dangers of idolatry. And we remember this, right? This is, these are the two greatest commandments from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 2 through 6. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my command. And so God is, um, is speaking to his children now through these people called prophets, these messengers that are giving warnings. And the warning that they're giving is, is a reminder about God's nature, about his character, and about his love for them. And God says, he, he tells us in his own words, it's a jealous love. It's a jealous love. Now, that, that freaks some Christians out. Like some people I know, they just can't fathom the thought of God being as a jealous God because they have a very negative picture in their mind of what jealousy looks like. When they think of jealousy, they think of that movie, um, Sleeping with the Enemy, and that weird dude, Patrick Bergen. I can't think of anything else he's ever been in. But in this movie, he is the creep of the movie, if you've ever seen the movie. I mean, every time he shows up, you're like, oh, oh my gosh, he's there. It's one of those things. It's such not good. And we kind of have that thought about God. When we hear God is jealous, it doesn't sit well with us. We think uh, of somebody that's controlling, of somebody that wants to know our every move, where we are all the time, and that's not the imagery that the Bible paints. Rather, the imagery that the Bible paints, when it talks about God being jealous, it, it is the role of a perfect husband that is the protector of his wife, all right? Now, not a crazy tracking every minute, gotta know, but, but rather somebody that's always guarding her heart, that's always guarding her with everything that he is, like his, his primary role is, is, is her protection um, to provide for her. And so when we stray, God is concerned and he's concerned because he loves us and he knows that when we stray, what we're doing is we're actually settling for a much cheaper substitute, okay? That's, that's what sin is, and that's what's going on in the, in the northern kingdom. They have elevated Baal and Asherah to God's status, and God is now going to show them um, how great and grave a sin that this is. Now, before we move on to the third point, I want to point out two things about idolatry very quickly to you. Not in your notes. They're not on the screen, but I just feel like they're important, okay? First, um, I, I, I would say to you that I want you to, to notice that these people nearly bled out for their idols. Okay? Surely he's sleeping. Why don't you yell louder? They begin to slash and to cut themselves, and they they keep doing it all day long. These people nearly bled out for false gods. And you say, Pastor, that, 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 that doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't matter to me. Well, listen, all idolatry has a high cost. And you may, it may not be your physical blood. Like, that's not what you're doing for the idol that you chase. But maybe the cost is your family. It's, well, we just need a little bit more money. And now that connection with your kids, it's, it's been destroyed, right? Because you're spending all your time just trying to get that dollar, trying to get that bigger house, trying to get that cost. Education. Come, let's just be honest. Can we be honest? How many of you in this room that have kids, you're worried about your children's education, how you're going to pay for it? Come on. Right? Do you think we've elevated education to an unhealthy place in our country, maybe? Right? Listen, I, I, I think education is important, but I, if I spend my life 
my whole life, everything that I have, trying to make money to pay for my kids' education, my kids will go off to college and I won't even know who they are. I'll have no impact on their life because I wasn't around them enough to give them the morals they would need to survive in the liberal colleges we have in our country. You follow me? What I'm saying to you is whatever, whatever your idol is, whether it's wealth or health or, 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 or being well-known, it all comes at a great cost. These people nearly bled out for their idol. And I just want you to know the same thing still happens to us. The second thing I, I would say to you, and, and this is really, really huge, is that God is not going to bless his primary competition or substitute. Think, think about it. God is not going to bless his primary competition or substitute. Now, what did God initially tell uh, Elijah to say to Ahab? Do you, you remember? I, we've, we've read it twice now. What did he tell him? To, what was the message? Interaction. It's not going to rain until, until I say so, okay? He actually said there's not going to be a drop of dew or any rain until I said so. Now, this is interesting. Do you know um, what the false god of Baal was called? You ready? This is interesting. Baal was also called the Lord of rain and dew. Baal was called the Lord of rain and dew. That's who the Israelites are now worshiping. They have elevated rain and dew to a godlike status, and God says, no more. God withholds his blessing in the area of their life that they have elevated to godlike status. And I want you to know he will do the same thing in our lives. He will do the same thing in our lives. You elevate money to godlike status and see if you don't start having uh, financial problems. <laughs> right? The same is, is true with your career. The same is true with, with you name it. God is not going to bless his primary competition. On the opposite side of that, the, off, uh, the, the, other, the opposite of that is often also true. If you put God in his rightful place, don't be surprised when the blessings and the rain start to fall. Right? You think about stories. Um, I, I, I think about a, a family that comes and says, we're just struggling financially. We, we, we can't ever seem to pay our bills. And the pastor will say something like, well, have you... Have you guys ever considered tithing? I don't look at the records, but have you ever considered tithing? And the family said, wait a second, we, Pastor, you don't understand. We can't pay our bills. What, why are you asking? You want me to give money to the church? Oh, this whole thing's a scam. Said, no, 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 it's not a scam. Here's what the book of Malachi says. God says, test me in this and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven. Just try tithing. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm suggest, as somebody that's been there and done that, would you just try it? And they begin to tithe and give first unto the Lord, and, and, and somehow a raise comes out of nowhere. And we say, well, that's coincidence. No, that's God, right? That's God's provision, right? I, I think about the, the woman that is longing for a husband. Just, she just wants to be married so badly. So many bad relationships. I mean, crash and burn after crash and burn after crash and burn. And finally, she just gives up and says, you know what? Until Jesus is my first love, I can't date anymore. And she puts Jesus first. And suddenly, this godly man comes walking into her life, you know? I think of the family that struggles with fertility. And more than anything else, they just want a child. And, and they, they go and they go and they go and, and, and they pay money and they just have got to have a child. And suddenly, somewhere God steps in and says, hey, hey, look at all these children that need to be cared for and loved. And that family will say, you know what, why don't we adopt or foster? And, and, and you would be shocked how many people that they've gotten to that place, they say, well, we'll adopt or foster. And all of a sudden, they become pregnant. What? Now, now we've got two children. Lord, we only wanted one. God smiles. Listen, 
God withheld his blessing in the area that they had elevated to God-like status. He will do the same in our lives. But when we elevate God to his rightful place, we shouldn't be shocked when the blessings begin to flow either, okay? Number three, I want you to understand that God is greater than the circumstances that surround your life. God is greater than the circumstances that surround your life. We move on from Elijah to Elisha. And uh, Elisha, man, the, the king of Aram hated this guy. King of Aram hated him because the king of Aram was trying to attack uh, the northern king. He was trying to attack Israel. And, and uh, Elisha, it, it was like God just kept telling him exactly what was coming. And so he would go tell the king of Israel, say, hey, wait, the troops are coming here. Don't go there. And, and it, it made the king of Aram so mad that he said, I, I feel like this guy's in my bedroom. He's like in my head. He knows every move I'm going to make. And so finally, the king of Aram wasn't an idiot. He said, you know, our our problem, his people told him, well, the problem is they have a prophet of God over there, and he's telling them where you are. And so he said, fine, we'll take out the prophet. So he said, where's the prophet? Well, the prophet's in Dotham. So he says, fine, send the army. So he sends the whole army to Dotham. He surrounds Elisha. And one morning, Elisha's servant wakes up, and he walks outside, and he is surrounded. The whole city is surrounded by this great army of Aram, and he is freaked out. And so he, he comes to Eli, Elisha. He says, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I love Elisha's response. This is 2 Kings chapter 6, 16 through 17. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, huge prayer, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. Now listen, he wasn't blind. He had seen before. This is a spiritual vision, okay? Lord, let me see your army that is surrounded. So open his eyes. And then the Lord opens the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. See, he thought he was surrounded. The servant thought we're surrounded. But Elisha knew that those that surrounded them were surrounded by God. By God's army, right? Listen, you may find yourself in a tough spot right now. Maybe you feel like you're surrounded. Maybe you feel like debt has hemmed you in. Maybe you feel like its health has hemmed you in. Maybe you feel like your marriage is is hemmed in. And you just, you you feel like you are surrounded. And this is what I'm going to say to you. Listen, God is greater than any circumstance that can surround you. God is greater. His army is greater than the enemies, okay? It just is. It just is. All right, number four, last thing. I want you to understand this morning that no matter how many times you have wandered, God wants you back. No matter how many times you've wandered, God wants you back. The last prophet mentioned um, in in our chapter of the story this week uh, is Hosea. And Hosea has a tough call on his life God says, I want to use your personal life to reflect my relationship with the nation of Israel. Now, if God comes to you and says, I want to use your personal life to reflect my relationship with my children, you just say, Lord, I I don't know that I'm up for that, okay? Uh, No, he says, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. And so he says, all right, here's what I want you to do. Ready? I want you to go find a prostitute. This is, this is is this a recurring theme from God with his people, right? I want you to go, what are you supposed to do? Go find a prostitute, and, she, and Rahab's going to tell you. So, so he said, I want you to go, I want you to find a prostitute, I want you to marry her. I want you to redeem her. And so, uh, so he does. So, so he goes, and, um, and he marries her, and, 
it's going to be tough, but Hosea goes and he finds uh, a prostitute named Gomer, which I have a trouble with the name. I see Pyle in my head. Uh, well, I'll be. Uh, I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, well, I do. Uh, whatever it was. But evidently she was a looker. She was a good looking woman, even though she had a really ugly name. And uh, it, was pro- it probably meant beautiful or something. I should have looked it up this week. But uh, so, so there she is. So he marries Gomer. And, uh, and evidently things at least at first, seemed to work well. Uh, Hosea chapter 1 says they have three kids, so, you know, they're having children, so that's, that's good. And uh, so marriage seems to be good at first, at least. And then, and then suddenly, Hosea comes home one day, and Gomer's nowhere to be found. And you've got to imagine in his heart of hearts that he knew exactly what had happened. I, I imagine he lived in fear of this the whole time, that she would return to her ways, and, and so... Um, you can imagine how hard it was for him to go back to the brothel and to see her in the arms of another man. And, and you can imagine how he must have felt with that. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. She's a harlot. I'm, I'm finished. There's, I'm, there's no way. I, I'm done. And then the Lord speaks to him. And listen to what the Lord says in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said, go show your love to your wife again. Just imagine the gravity of that, Right? So I, I called you to marry a woman. I called you to marry a prostitute. She's become your wife. You redeemed her. You've got three children together. She's now in the arms of another man. So I want you to go and love your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, I want you to love her as, as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. And Hosea does. He goes and he redeems her again and brings her back home to be his wife. Now listen, um, Anytime we gather like this and there's this many people in the room, there's always more than one or two that walked in this morning and they felt unworthy of being here. See, some of you this week, uh, you feel like you messed up so bad that when you walk through the doors, everybody could see your sin. That's what you feel like. You, 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 I mean, even though you know, it's a safe place and you try to fight that feeling, you still feel like the greatest sinner in the room. And this is what I want to say to you. You're not alone. You're not alone. Every single one of us here sin. All of us. And we've all had that feeling. When, if, if you've never walked through the doors of church and felt guilt, then come talk to me. I need some counseling. But listen, here's, here's the beauty. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, God wants you back. God you say, Pastor, you, you don't understand, man. I, I, have, I have blown it. No, dude, I understand. I, I, when I tell you I'm the greatest sinner in the church, like I'm trying to tell you guys, you should, like, hey, like, like I, I get it, man. I know what it is to fail God. I know what it is to hear from God, from his mouth, to, to cast a vision, and then, and then to fall right after hearing it. Go, yeah, yeah Lord, that's great. Yeah. Gosh. And when I fall, I don't know about you guys, some of you are graceful landers, you know. Like you fall into a little tuck roll and you get back up walking like nope, nobody even noticed you fell, really? They just thought you were tying your shoe for a second. When I fall, it's like tripping downstairs with concrete with my hands tied behind my back, you know. My nose is over here, my ears up there. I mean, it takes reconstructive surgery to get things right. And some of you feel that way and you man, there's no way that God could use me. My nose is over here. There's no way. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, God wants you back. That is the truth we find in the life of Hosea. 
What do we do when God unloads something that heavy on us? What, what, what is our response? There's got to be a response, friends. There's got to be. So I'm going to give you just a little homework. I'm sure it falls short of, of what our response should be, but these are things I was thinking as I prepared uh, for this message before we left out of town. These are things I was thinking might be a proper response, okay? Uh, one, if you're here and you're in the pit, if you're in the valley, if you're in the ditch, if life's not awesome right now, you should, ah, okay? Listen, stop complaining, okay? I, I didn't add that there. That should be there. Stop complaining. Start growing. Grow with God in the valley. Like, like the valley is important. The valley is preparation for the mountaintop. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to miss your mountaintop moment if you don't grow with God in the valley. It's just the truth. If, if you can't see God's hand right now when life is not great, if you can't realize that he is with you in the ditch, that his hand is upon you, that, he, that his presence has never left you, then, then, then when you're ready for that moment, I think you're going to miss it. You're not going to have the confidence in God to do the, the mountaintop kind of things. It's just not going to happen. And so I just want to challenge you. Grow with God in the valley. Get, get, get to know him. See his hand. Know that he's with you. Experience him. You know, it, it's crazy how many people I've talked to that um, it took, it took a, a diagnosis of something terrible for them to grow really deep in the Lord. And they would tell you, I got the diagnosis and I thought it was the worst thing on earth, but I'm going to tell you, as I've walked through it, I've never, I've never felt more alive than this time I've had with Jesus, right? Because we've got to learn to grow in the valley. We, we need to learn to grow in the valley. So that's number one. Number two, um, if, uh, if this is you, right? If you have elevated something to God's status that shouldn't be there, um, and this morning you've been made aware of it, I, I think the challenge is just to repent and to reprioritize. Let me ask you this. Um, is there an area of your life that God is withholding his blessing? That's what you think. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's financially. Uh, maybe it's emotionally. I, I don't know. Is there, is there some area you feel like God is withholding your blessing? Could it be? I'm not saying it is that, but could it be that because you've elevated that to some status it's not supposed to be, Right? Elevated finances, it's all about finances, and, and suddenly we can't rub two cents together to pay our bills. What, what's going on? Lord, have I made it all about this? Have I elevated something to your status? Listen, he, he says to the people worshiping Baal, the God of dew and rain, there will be no more dew or rain. I'm done. I want you to, I, you need to come back to me. Maybe God is trying to do that in your life in some area. And so that's you this morning. I would just challenge you, pray. God, is there some area that I have elevated something? Wealth or health or fame or my 401k? Is there, is there some college, educate? Like, is there something I'm living for that is my main priority other than you? And if there is, God, I repent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. I, I want to put you on your throne. And when you get him where he belongs, just don't be shocked if those blessings fall. I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing it'll happen, but I'm just saying more often than not, it does, okay? Number three, uh, and this is a prayer this week. If, if you feel like life has hemmed you in right now, just feel like, Jason, I'm, I'm suffocating. And anybody ever been there? You feel like you, you, you're suffocating spiritually, physically, just like I can't. Gosh, I don't want to do this anymore. Anybody ever been there? Like, you, you, you're just in life, and you're just like, I just, I don't, I, I, like, I'm, God, I'm not saying I don't want to live. I'm just saying I don't want to keep doing this. This is, this is exhausting. You feel like you're hemmed in, okay? Here's what you pray. God, open my eyes. Would you show me that you're with me? 
Would you show me that you're surrounding these circumstances, that you've got this, right? That this will not be my end, that this is not my final chapter, this is not how the story goes, that you've got redemption in mind for me? Would you please show me that, okay? Uh, and last thing I would, I would share with you um, this morning, if, if you're wandering, it's just plain and simple. Just come home. Some of you in the room, you've been wandering for a long time. And you know you've been wandering and you haven't wanted to tell anybody you're wandering. The problem is nobody else knows you're wandering because you fake it really well. Like you, you're very spiritual. That's a terrible word, by the way. Drop it. See, I'm spiritual. No, you're phony. I'm religious. No. Are you in love with Jesus or not? Are you living for him or not? Because anything else, is, it doesn't count. We don't need rituals. We don't need spiritualization. We need Jesus to be on the very throne in the very center of our lives. And anytime we fall short of that, guys, anytime, that's a sign that we've wandered. And, and hear me, that's not a small sin. Don't think, well, I'm not living for Jesus right now, but it's okay. I'm a Christian. I'm okay. It's not okay. It's adultery. You're actually cheating on God. So it, it's, not, it's not okay, but here's the good news. Despite our adultery, God has come and said, I will redeem you. I want you back. Come home. Come home. All right? So you guys pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. I pray um, that it would have a deep impact in our lives this week. God, you are our everything. You are all that we need. I just pray that we'd be reminded of that this morning. Please. Please. Please, please. There's some work that needs to be done here in our midst. And Lord, we're just going to give you the next few moments to do that work. Please have your way with us. In your name we pray. Amen. I just ask you to keep your heads bowed for a second and just a spirit of prayer. And uh, you don't have to have your eyes closed, but have your heads bowed. If you, if you open your eyes, I want you to look back over at taking the story home, those four things. These are supposed to be action items, right? Growing with God in the valley repenting and reprioritizing, asking God to open your eyes, coming back home. Look over that list and just in a spirit of prayer, say, God, where am I? What do I need to do? How do I need to respond, Lord? How do I need to respond? And as he speaks to your heart, just in your heart of hearts, just do it. If he says, I want you to reprioritize, change the money thing, you say, yes, Lord. Just right there in your seat, you just change the money thing. If he says, you're not hemmed in, Open your eyes and see. I've never left you. Just, okay, God, open my eyes. You pray that prayer right where you are and just let the Lord speak to you. We're just going to give a couple minutes, allow the Holy Spirit to have his way here in this place, okay? Spirit of prayer. It's you and the Lord.